Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Unpopular Opinion. Today's episode is going to be a long one and it's going to be a big one because I go into the roots of fat phobia and I want to bring awareness to how size discrimination is a social justice issue, just like racism, just like sexism, just like the discrimination based on sexual orientation, and explore the intersectionality of these social categorizations. Full disclaimer, I am not an expert in any of these areas, and I will have my sister join me later to speak about these topics. We are speaking about these topics as cis hetero females and this is purely for educational purposes. Uh, I don't want to speak on the behalf of anyone and I won't be recounting experiences of perhaps other, you know, marginalised groups. This has been a real sort of relatively recent learning curve for me. I really want to share my awakening to all of this and I'm asking the questions and wanting to start or continue this important conversation. For any cis-hetero men, this is not supposed to single you out as individuals. We need you on board. That's that's a fact. And I would urge you to listen and just be open that, you know, this is history, something we cannot rewrite, and be aware that what happens in the past continues to affect our present-day society. Let's turn back time. In the ancient Greece and Rome period, moderation and balance in all things came to be seen as a virtue and any level of excess was a flaw to be corrected. Overindulgence with eating was a moral failing, so it was exclusively for fuel, not for pleasure, and fatness was viewed as a symbol for moral corruption. Cultural fat phobia then also intertwined with the area of health. An ancient Greek physician believed that fatness was a sign of malformed spirit. These physicians also popularized the belief that fatness was a disease. But, you know, then there were many contradictions because it was also said that in all maladies, those who are fat about the belly do best. Ancients also didn't find thinness aesthetically pleasing and had a preference for fat and moderation. So this still obviously excluded some, but the standard of body size was still nowhere near as impossible as today's standards. Fat was prosperity and fertility and thin was poverty and weakness. So as we can see, the view on fatness and the perception of what fat quote-unquote meant really fluctuated throughout this time. 19th century. Scientists actually started cataloging the physical traits and cultural norms they saw in different societies. Fatness was a marker of savagery. It appeared more frequently in people of colour, whereas thinness appeared more frequently in white aristocrat men. Women of all ethnicities were believed to be at greater risk of fatness, uh, which you know was taken as further evidence of their supposed evolutionary inferiority. The belief of a hierarchy of ethnic groups with white men at the top, led to a growing demonization of fatness starting in the mid-1800s because thinness was seen as more evolved given its supposed association with masculinity and whiteness. Even men with a lot of fat on their bodies began to be seen as less masculine and less morally upstanding. Fatness or curviness, it was a sign of femininity, but the idea that larger bodies were inferior eventually trumped 
and women couldn't be, you know, too fat or too curvy. The funny thing is, during this time, aesthetically, the height of beauty and refinement for women was still to be plump, pale, have an hourglass shape, with the help of corsets, of course. And at this point in time, doctors still encouraged people to gain weight. Then we have the emergence of print media, and a thinner ideal was portrayed, but still had an hourglass shaped body. And aspirational images of thin white ladies in advertising was born. So early 1900s, early feminists actually played a little bit of a role in demonizing fatness because they aimed to bolster their case that women were sufficiently evolved to deserve, to deserve the right to vote. So it was sort of the message of, well, we can be as slim um, as, as a man and obviously that sort of marginalized larger bodies more. But, I mean, of course, progress, what can you do? Physicians were now starting to preach weight loss and you know what to this day health professionals whoever it is they are human too and they're not impervious to the bias of what society thinks we should do there was no scientific evidence to preach weight loss at this time in episode three we spoke about the flaws of bmi and yet you know, it was, it was used to define obesity, which then allowed for the emergence of the obesity epidemic. So hopefully I already poked some holes in that concept theory uh, already. Fat phobic beliefs predated health arguments. This facade of, but it's for health, allows to this day for family, teachers, strangers, friends, partners, and any health professional to pack on the pressure even more when it comes to someone's size. And that's just super significant in terms of its impact. A person can only handle so much. Let's talk about the social injustice of size discrimination, particularly large bodies. Fat isn't an objective word meaning just adipose tissue. It's heavily laden with negative value and discomforting emotions. So it means lazy, greedy, lack of determination, lack of willpower, undeserving of love, which has led to weight stigma, weight bias, weight discrimination, and fat phobia. The oppression of larger bodies is real. There are countless lived experiences, plus, you know, it has been demonstrated in the research. I think sometimes if we seem to benefit, you know, from our from thin privilege, we don't want to question society's rules. I'm going to read out a passage from an article written by your fat friend. Acknowledging that I might not be able to change my body through sheer force or of will alone shakes their foundation. It means that bodies might not be meritocracies and theirs might not be an achievement. A real thin body might not be a matter of devotion, might not warp bones and change a body's body's shape, might not save you from the fate of your parents' bodies or from a body like mine. My thin privilege allows me to do a lot of things, but it also allows me to be taken seriously as a dietitian. And I can also advocate for health at every size and actually be listened to. That's a tough pill to swallow. Those in larger bodies are less likely to be employed, they're less likely to get promotions, and they're likely less paid than their thinner counterparts. They can be denied health insurance or pay a higher premium, as well as denied medical care. 
They frequently experience medical malpractice and negligence and denied overall good quality healthcare. This population is more harshly graded as a student and as a teacher, less respected. Of course, like the big one, weight bias in the media is huge. A bigger person is more likely to play, you know, the dumb, funny character. Being fat is not a protected class and discrimination and fat phobia is harmful to each and every one of us. Let's just talk about the fat acceptance movement. Yes, there was a fat acceptance movement and it sort of turned into what we may be more aware of currently, so body positivity, and it's actually started in the 1960s and it has been around through different waves and forms for about 50 years. Currently, fat acceptance is a social justice movement aiming to make body culture more inclusive and diverse in all of its forms. So the body positivity movement. It grew in popularity, right? And I'm, I'm pretty sure anyone that's listening will have seen the hashtag body positivity. However, women of color, women with disabilities, and trans women were sort of pushed from the spotlight by a more conventional beauty ideal. White women with hourglass figures, often no bigger than a size 16, were described as radical role models. So this movement sort of limits against body size. There is a limit to what can be uh, shown. There's a limit to body size, shape, color, and many other aspects of a person's identity. And it's just because body positivity has largely, largely forgotten its political roots. And it emerged, I think, as more in an individual pursuit to feel better about yourself. But the difference is fat liberation and fat acceptance is actually a collective movement for social justice. That's the difference. So, of course, body positivity is a great entry point for many people to fat acceptance. However, we definitely, it's, de- it's been taken over basically by white cis women. And I feel like nothing should stop you from showing your body. You know, we need to normalize all body types. It is your physical vessel, but we need to prioritize the acceptance of fat bodies first and maybe save, you know, the hashtag body positivity for this population and stand up for their acceptance. After the break, I'm going to be talking about body size through the feminist lens. My sister Angela is coming on to join so we can have a, you know, proper discussion on this minefield of a topic. We'll be back in a second. All right, I'm back and I have my sister Angela joining me. Hello. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me in the room next door on the show. Isn't it so funny? And we couldn't even plug our mics into one computer. So we're literally on Zoom, but doing it in each other's rooms. Well, I know. We're doing our best with what we've got. Yeah, definitely. I wanted, well, Angela on just because. Obviously, I'm going to be speaking about body size through a feminist lens. And, well, first of all, I need someone to, you know, bounce off ideas from. And then also Angela does have a a certain passion around this subject. We all should sort Hmm. of have the passion around this, but you are very outspoken about it. I think that... You know, you and I, we identify, I mean, I'm speaking on your behalf, but I know that you also identify as a cis hetero woman in this society. And 
it's just something that is worth understanding because it answers a lot of the questions of how we behave in this society and why we do things. Because when you think about it, nothing just is because it is. There's always reasons why things have, you know, become and come about. And so when, you know, I have obviously certain frustrations of being uh, a woman in my position and I started to ask questions and then you realize that there are all these answers that date back through history mm-hmm. and you start to understand the state of our our world and the structure that we live in, which is, yeah. by the way, a patriarchy. Yes. And that explains a lot of things when we'll get stuck into this conversation. Yeah, I think we just can't go, well, that's history and it's in the past. Everything that happened you know, ages ago or whenever has, is always going to affect in some way society today. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Like every, every action has a consequence and there's just no way that we can detach from the past. That just doesn't make any sense. We, of course, things that are the way that they are today are a direct product of things that have happened in the past. Mm -hmm. And in my recording part of the fat phobic history, you know, I mentioned that, you know, because women's bodies have more fat than men, this was used as a way mm. to class women as being inferior. So how can we not think this is a feminist issue, you know? Exactly. I mean, like what you said, you, you've touched on in your previous recording, there's just been all of these issues that we are faced with now have obviously existed previously. I mean, it's actually not that obvious, which is why we need to Mm. search and look into that because they actually are issues that existed previously. However, given the context of the time, things were a little bit different. Uh, Even when we talk about beauty ideals and beauty standards and what being fat and what being thin means, things were definitely different back then. And I'm talking we're talking ancient Greek and Roman times. Mm-hmm. These, this value placed on beauty and appearance and bodies was always a thing. It yeah. always existed. However, however, what they were were completely different. Yeah. I mean, fat was actually quite, you know, positive and a good thing yeah. at a certain time. Prosperity and, and fertility. Exactly. Like, they, this has all meant different things in the past and just today, in today's age, especially the age of the internet, the age of social media, the age of a time where we are so hyper aware of what we look like and what we feel we need to look like, things have shifted again and there is a new beauty ideal, a new beauty standard, a new specific body type and even yeah. a new, obviously, a race is um, obviously being Mm. white Mm -hmm. because racism, as we know, has always existed as well. And it is often a white ideal that fits into all of these beauty ideals as well. Yeah, definitely. And we're definitely going to touch on media soon. But basically we are asking the questions. This is to start or continue the conversation. Uh, You know, no one, no one is born with a desire to change Mm. their body appearance so where does this drive come from thin Mm. is the ideal why 
why do we continue to preach that one size fits all when we know body diversity is real? And why do we continue to put up a facade of, well, this is all for health when that has been discredited by the research? As mentioned before, fat phobia predated any concern about health. So I think starting off with, you know, as women have fought to expand in the ways, you know, we can act on the world. So as we have progressed, Mm -hmm. as we have gotten more rights, well, at the same time, the beauty ideal or standard that we have to adhere to has gotten tighter and tighter and tighter. And that just Mm -hmm. seems to me like, well, if we are, if if the if society is relinquishing a bit of the control there's still this other like hidden covert control that's being placed on us you know so it's just another form yeah yeah absolutely I think just touching on what you said about the beauty ideals have just become so narrow and it's all to do with our our online world as well where we've I mean, this concept of Instagram face that I do want to talk about, Mm. it was, I saw it written in the New Yorker at the end of last year by Gia Tolentino. And she started speaking about this concept of the the age of the Instagram face. And basically I'll just read a passage from her article. She states that it's a young face, of course, with poreless skin and plump high cheekbones. It has cat-like eyes and long cartoonish lashes. It has has a small neat nose and full lush lips. The face is distinctly white, but ambiguously ethnic. Mm. So I think we can all kind of resonate to that. And we understand that there is this face on Instagram, especially, which has become the beauty ideal. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly what she described. And it is very much distinctly white, like she says. So it's, it is also a question of race as well. And yeah. not only is this the face on Instagram? But because we know how much social media impacts our reality, it has become the beauty ideal full stop. Yes. It has seeped into our everyday life. So, I mean, really, we all know how much social media impacts our reality. The two are very much intrinsically linked. Yes. Um, Watch The Social Dilemma if you want to know more. Yeah, I mean, that show kind of neatly, you know, neatly ties together things that we definitely knew. I mean, I know that I'm addicted to my phone. I know that I'm addicted to um, these apps that are actually made to be addictive. So not only am I constantly clicking into these apps, I physically delete the apps off my phone when I just know that I need a break. Um, But the fact that I have to do that just shows how addictive it is. But not only are these apps super addictive, but we're clicking into it and absorbing all this information like sponges and seeing these beauty ideals. And there's just, it's very difficult to not be affected. Yeah. So we really honestly are so affected by this and the ideals, they seep into our brains. Mm Mm-hmm. And you can have all the media literacy in the world, like, oh, they've used touch-up or whatever, even though it's becoming a little bit more covert in how people are, you know, uh, editing their face. But mm. it's that's still becoming our norm. Everything we see and the more similar images that we see, 
are becoming our norm. And the fact is, history-wise, back then there was print media came about, but it was still taking an image of an actual human being, right? Now Mm -hmm. we can literally artificially make someone that is totally not real. Exactly. It plays on two things. We already have such immense power in the ability to take photos and even very much staged videos. You can already alter so much of what you would actually realistically look like standing in front of a person. So lighting, angles, the amount of shots and takes that you need to have to get the perfect combination of everything in an image that pleases you. There's just already so much that you can do. And when we add this whole other layer of filters, like removing all your blemishes and blurring and distorting. Yeah. Cause I'm not just talking about the artistic fun sort of color shading, you know, where you just literally just putting a filter on top and it just kind of brings out some colors and stuff. I'm not Mm -hmm. talking about that. That's quite, I mean, that's creative. You could argue, but there's an X, there's a, there's a line. And then there's this whole other area where you're actually distorting what you look like. So you can just do so much to a photo and curate all of it that sometimes it just won't even resemble at all how that person or whatever it is might actually be like in real life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this, this um, reminds me of obviously me, me and Marina, we are both big fans of Jamila Jamil yeah. and on her Instagram. I mean, she's, she's so outspoken and she's always serving the hard truths that, that actually in turn empower us, particularly in this patriarchal structure of the world she was sharing some images the other day of photos of celebrities. And of course, celebrities are high profile. So we know that because they're high profile, they're also more susceptible to all of these societal Mm -hmm. pressures as well. And she was just sharing photos of how some people have edited their faces and bodies to just completely not resemble what they actually look like. And Instead, the edited photo resembles this ideal, arguably Instagram face, like what we just spoke mm. about. And it, it just shows that someone values that appearance more than what this person actually looks like. Yeah. I mean, I think with especially yeah, celebrities, we look up to them the most as well. You know, they're the influencers, they're, you know, the they push products, you know, we do look up to them. So when they're getting the most pressure to conform and they are because, Mm. you know, that's a a survival technique as well. Like I don't blame them for wanting to conform, Mm -hmm. but that just becomes, again, our new normal. So it needs to really come from the top. And by the top, I mean men as well, helping, helping out the situation and high profile celebrities, which we're seeing now with like people like Jamila Jamil and all these other, you know, activists as well. Yeah. Because in the end, celebrities are, you know, celebrities are celebrities and they're normal humans at the same time. Like they are not invincible to the societal pressures. In fact, it is 
arguably more difficult for them because there's, I mean, the kind of scrutinization that they come yeah. under in their high profile position is just completely out of this world. And, you know, it begs the question of if I was in their position, what would I be doing and how would I see myself and would mm-hmm. I be altering things? I honestly couldn't tell you because I've mm-hmm. not felt the pressure to that extent. Um, yeah. But it is sort of like what you said, the celebrities are a big influence in all of our lives. They're the people that we 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 look up to in quotation in marks because we, as well. yeah, we see them in the media. Yeah. We see them in movies, TV shows, um, all sorts of places that are high exposure environments. And we do see how they change things about themselves. Mm-hmm. And we do, we're going to be, we're going to learn from that. Yeah. And at the same time, those people become people's ideals as well. So it's like a cycle. Mm. And I think they, mm. yeah. I think we also see how, you know, if if a celebrity, you know, honestly, it is mostly women. They're mostly targeted in this. But if they are, they have been thin and they gain weight for you know whatever reason, we see how they're treated in the media. We see that their reputation mm-hmm. suddenly plummets. They're mocked. So their success and career in question is literally rocked just because of Mm -hmm. how they look. And we do see that mostly in women. Why? Well, yes. Well, why? Because we know that. So we live in a patriarchy. Our societal structure is a patriarchy. So basically there's, there is, think of it as a hierarchy. There is a group on top and the Mm. list just goes down, 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 down. So who's on top? Well, men, and to be more specific, it would be cisgendered hetero yeah white men they are on top and women are considered inferior within this patriarchal system so we are you know we're a rung below and then it gets even more complicated with race mm-hmm. and class race we know that there there is a, a big problem with racism in this world and for you know since the beginning of of god knows when like forever race and people of color immigrants have been considered lesser than so yeah. think of that hierarchy they're also they're going even lower down on this hierarchy less yeah. control less power mm. so of course everyone in this hierarchy is going to be disproportionately disproportionately targeted by all of these societal expectations because we're not on top and and then there's also with women specifically and talking from the perspective of a white cisgendered hetero woman historically there have also been gender roles I mean there still are gender roles where we for a long time weren't even our own person mm-hmm. we were basically someone a white man's property yep. or a man's property so there's so many different things at play as to why we are disproportionately targeted by all these standards and all you have to do is look at our societal structure and go back in history to, yeah. to find out why we have become or why this world has become as it yeah. is now 
And I, I read in, there's a book called Fat is a, Fem- is a Feminist Issue and basically with those societal ro- roles that, you know, came about, obviously, you know, b- becoming a mother and wife, that contributes in itself to the problem of fat because first to become a mother and wife, you, you know, you have to get a man, right? So to even mm-hmm. fulfil your societal role, you have to get a man and to get a man, well, a woman has to regard herself as a commodity, a sex object, and this, you know, her appearance basically makes up her identity and mm. and how others see her. So this makes women extremely self-conscious, right? So mm. we can only look to that and go, oh, when we hear term, uh, things like, oh, she's so insecure, right? Mm. We could have so many reasons for that just from looking at what's happened in the past. And, of course, I know people don't look to that in the moment because we're in modern mm. society, quote-unquote, but, you know, people aren't just insecure and it's usually mm. women that are called insecure. Why? Yeah, I think that it 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 is very complicated and, you know, if – we're all sort of experiencing this group. I mean, I'm talking about women. We're all sort of experiencing this group, this similar group um, feeling about, you know, how we appear and trying to make ourselves appear better. And And it's like, how are we all experiencing this? It's it's Mm -hmm. not an individual thing Mm. it's not an individual experience it's definitely one that we all share and it does beg the question of why is that Mm -hmm. and I really do believe that it is you know a byproduct of the patriarchy and previous gender roles as well and current gender roles to be honest yeah so that it can be answered and everyone's insecurities might be different but I mean women have literally been raised to compete with each other in this society. I mean, we are competing or we were, and we still are competing for that male attention. Yeah. I mean, speaking from a straight cisgendered woman. Yeah. And we've been raised to be each other's competition and we've been pitted up against each other And you see this on the grand scale in the media all the time. Mm. Yeah, which is, you know, it it does seem like we're just trying to get any scrap of power we can. So we do it within our own social group as women Mm. to make us stand out more than another woman for the patriarchy, Mm. basically. Exactly. And... I think being aware of those, these feelings and these thoughts, because I mean, we're talking basically about internalized misogyny here yeah. where we have, we have absorbed how men perceive women mm-hmm. and we, we have started to believe those views ourselves. And it is so heavily ingrained in us. Like this yeah. is history. Yeah. This is our societal structure of the patriarchy from forever. So it is so heavily ingrained in us, but just asking the questions 
to help you realize why you have yeah. these thoughts and opinions and why you do, you act in certain ways, um, especially around other women or other people that you see as competition. It is just so, it will make you feel better that you understand why you're doing this. And yeah. it will also help you to potentially you know, alter the way that you see things. Obviously we're talking about rewriting your brain and, Mm. and habitual thought processes. So this is no easy feat. This is difficult. However, you have to start somewhere. And I think just being aware of this place that we live in and the history of everything will help you start. Yeah. And I mean, Florence given, you know, the woman who wrote, uh, Women Don't Owe You Pretty. Uh, she talks a lot about, you know, internalised misogyny. Uh, we we here the common trope is, well, women are just, so I, this is what happens, it's are just competitive um, with one another, mm. are just catty and uh, bitchy when it comes to commenting on other people's appearance, you know, bodies, etc. But, you know, you can't just be like that. A group of people can't just be mm-hmm. like that. You are like that for a reason. And so just asking why is just that is going to be the most helpful thing to you. Yeah, and even asking why you might find yourself conforming to these beauty standards yeah. because, of it, like, no, none of us are sitting here being like, we're totally unaffected, like the patriarchy hasn't, seeped into my brain because it absolutely it has and yeah. I couldn't honestly sit here and say that some of the things that I do in my life haven't been a direct result of the patriarchy because they obviously have like why yeah. do I shave my legs why do yeah. I have a preference of smooth legs for example yeah. yeah because that has become my preference but that's definitely not something I was born with like I learned this behavior mm-hmm. also I mean, I love makeup. And when we talk about makeup, it is quite a difficult topic because on one hand, I see it as a form of expression. I feel so expressive and like I'm really exuding my inner personality out to the world when I put makeup on in a certain way, even the way I dress. Mm. It is all a form of expression. But at the same time, on the other hand, it's like, have I conformed and decided that I like myself in certain types of makeup. For example, I love a winged eyeliner. I've worn Mm. a winged eyeliner for years and years and years since I discovered makeup. Do I like that because it accentuates, you know, features into more of this beauty ideal? Like does it conform to a beauty ideal or is it just because I like it? And to be honest, it's both. Like I do like it, but why do I like it? Yeah, exactly. So this whole, it's so, it's so connected forms of expression conforming to a beauty ideal, my being my choice of doing it, it is also connected. And ultimately if you choose to do something and you want to, I mean, you, you do it because you just need to do what you want to do. And we're not going to dismantle, unfortunately, Sorry to tell everyone, we're not going to dismantle the patriarchy overnight. I mean, women have tried for years, literally, historically, and we've gotten somewhere where we're actually having this conversation, which is amazing, but it's not just going to be dismantled easily. Otherwise, it would have been done years ago. Mm. So we need to figure out how to live in this society in a way that empowers us. Yeah, 
I think also, you know, we can't, there is no need to blame women for wanting to conform that that's not the problem and that's not oppressive to women, right? It starts from the top yeah. of the patriarchy. That's where things need to change. Yeah, there's a, there's absolutely a question here of we can't be passing judgment on women who decide yes. to conform. It's just, I mean, what options and choices are there, you know? Yeah. I, it is very difficult also to distinguish what we want for ourselves and things that we've learned from this patriarchal structure. So in the end, a woman can do what she pleases. She will, you know, her appearance, the way she wears her makeup, she's going to do what she wants in the end if that's what she wants. Yeah. Will will it potentially perpetuate the patriarchy and beauty standards and ideals? Yes. Yes. Yeah. It is a cycle. It is going to affect and keep this cycle going. Yeah. Is there much choice though? Not really. No. Because when we delve in further, your body, how you look is a social status marker as well. So you're choosing between exactly. being respectable in society and of, you know, I guess getting somewhere in life or not. So mm. no choice there. Um, and we've obviously seen social status becoming more entrenched in appearance with the rise of social media because it's literally going, well, my appearance is getting this many likes or, you know, mm. and your body shape is basically your brand. If you yeah. uh, have an hourglass shape, that's your brand. If you're mm -hmm. thin, thin, that is your brand. If you're muscular, that is your brand. And that's particularly for women. Exactly. And when we take it back, like we said, beauty, value and value placed on beauty and your appearance has always existed. However, the type of beauty trends and ideals has changed. And I think what we're seeing now, like we touched on, things are very narrow we're seeing the age of Instagram face is a very peculiar, not peculiar, but there's a very um, specific type of face, which is actually not real about. in anyone really. It is. It's, it's, it, some people actually have that kind of face. Like we're talking the M routers of the world who, by mm -hmm. the way, M router, for example, she is someone who does have this, that beauty ideal of a face and she embodies that body, which we'll probably mm. get into a little bit later. So it's things that exist, except everyone wants to have it, even though we're not all supposed to be clones of each other. We no. are supposed to be different. We have a different gen yes. genetic makeup. We come from different backgrounds, different ethnicities. We're not supposed to all look the same. No. And that's where diet culture really comes into the mix because it is, it is the tool that makes women conform try try to conform to the thin ideal and um Naomi Wolf she her quote was you know dieting is the most potent political sedative in a women's mm. well in women's history because really it's something that you know you'll most likely fail at there is no sort of success rate throughout your life so if we continuously think well I'm the problem I'm the problem I'm the problem if only I could change mm. this 
that's the only thing you're thinking about for your whole life. I'm sorry, there is not a lot you can mm. think about other than that because it is so it just takes up everything, takes up everything. And people will know yeah. that if you've dieted before. Well, it it takes up a lot of energy, doesn't yeah. it? Like like worrying about appearance and trying to change things about yourself. It is a pretty stressful and draining process. So yeah. it, it makes total sense that that takes away from other areas yeah. in your life as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that with the bodies, so as we've seen this standard mm. PR, this is what plays into views of fat phobia as well, because we are now so used to seeing a standard of, you know, quite a thin toned, has boobs mm. and a bum, but it has a tiny waist, like this very specific body. And I'm sure people know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, not to make her the example again, but M. Radha definitely mm. embodies this ideal. Naturally, though. And right. so, yeah, and, and, she, mm. and she just so happens to be that way. And M. Radha is at no fault or blame for her no. appearance. It is exactly in the eyes of the beholder. How do we perceive these bodies and what? how much do we value them compared to another? And clearly in our society due to all the fat phobia that exists we mm. we do believe that that is ideal especially in comparison to larger bodies yeah yeah definitely i think you know yeah you definitely just can't blame someone for being the natural ideal and that's what happens mm. you know and women start to attack those women based on that just because it's it's their own insecurity and they're projecting that but at the end of the day that just that just hurts all of us um and I think yeah and no you go well I was just gonna say and everyone should feel em empowered to share what they look like so yes Agreed. when we talk about social media for example it's yeah. not the duty of the thin woman who does actually happen to embody this ideal. Yeah. It's not her duty to um, be careful with what she's posting mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in case that fuels this cycle, because yeah. obviously she has that body and appearance and she wants to share it. That's fine. We yeah. don't know her intention of posting, but she's posted it. And that is absolutely within her right. Obviously, just like it is for someone who is considered yes. fat. Yes. However, that's exactly the way that it. we perceive these people is that we we definitely don't consider someone who is fat as ideal as yeah. someone who embodies that thin body ideal. Yeah. And fat phobia just like comes up real real strong in this just because the tolerance for for allowing someone to post their natural body if it's larger than the thin ideal is so 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 low that's what needs to change tolerance to I mean I don't care if you don't find that person attractive the point is is it for you is it for you to find someone attractive is that the aim of the game not necessarily mm. this is where things get quite you know complicated because when people are posting photos on Instagram. Let's use this example because it makes things pretty clear. 
what are their intentions? We mm-hmm. don't know because they don't post a photo with their intention stated. Yeah. But when, how does the person on the other side of the screen view this photo being posted? So, for example, with the patriarchy, I would argue that there's a lot of men out there who think that a specific kind of, say, uh, a photo woman is um, showing off her body in a bikini and she she posts that on the internet because she just wants to. But I would argue that men or some men mm. think that it is actually for them yeah. because of this society that we live in where beauty ideals are seen through the male gaze. Yeah. So yeah. I would argue that you can actually see that happening on an online level on social media, on mm-hmm. Instagram. And it's obviously not, you know, the woman. It's no. not her. This isn't her doing. It is how they perceive the photo. Yeah. Yeah. And you have your own experience with this. Tell us about that. Well, yeah. I mean, just as being a woman in this society and I also am just want to state it very clearly. I have thin privilege and arguably pretty privilege as well. And I have always felt, and this is probably where my frustrations to do with this whole complex array of ideas. This is where my frustrations began because I've always felt that my appearance, my body, my face has always been valued higher than who I actually am. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the way I've come to this conclusion is just by listening to people's compliments. Yeah. Like the amount of times one of my friends and, you know, they're, they're my friends and people obviously compliments come from a lot of the time they don't realize what they're doing. You know, a compliment mm. is a compliment, but if I'm hearing consistently from my friends that, oh, my body, your body looks great. You're, you know, oh, you're, you're so pretty. Your face is just, you know, whatever. Obviously I'm being conditioned to think that that's where my value lies. And worth lies. That, and my worth. Exactly. So I often think, I mean, just to get really into this example, my lips, for example, I'm mm. well aware that my lip, my lips are actually slightly larger. And some might say that they fit this ideal that we're seeing now with mm. the bigger lips. I've always had lips like this and I get compliments from them. My lips, just how they are, I get mm. compliments about them. And I've always been told you have nice lips, you have nice lips. And it's just like, well, Imagine I'm trying to think if I didn't have these lips, what would you be saying then? And would you be treated differently? Which is like exactly Mm -hmm. what we see in today's Mm -hmm. society. Uh, I would say that everyone, well, all, most women are, uh, their importance is mostly, mostly comes from how they look and Mm that's a historical thing but so I would say that worth and looks is tightly tied together 
Um, but I would say it's a different. So for you, people compliment you on your appearance. If mm. you didn't fit the ideal, it would be like, oh, maybe you should lose some weight or, you know, maybe exactly. you should change this. It's just a very different thing. But at the end of the day, it doesn't help anyone. No one's benefiting from this Yeah. Idea. And you know, like, we know that obviously um, in considering the privileges that exist, so thin privilege especially, so being a thin person compared mm-hmm. to being fat, you're, there's already a, a certain layer of pressure removed. However, because of the patriarchal society that we live in, we know that we all share quite similar insecurities about our appearance. And that is, that is, yeah, because of the society we live in, because we are all feeling a pressure to conform and it doesn't matter if to someone else you look like a very attractive ideal. It doesn't matter. That person still can feel insecure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I think, you know, uh, it actually doesn't come down sometimes to the actual body size for a lot of people. Fat and thin actually just become states of mind. So that's why we hear the phrase, you know, I feel fat because it's, mm. it's, it's not talking about size. It's talking about the negative connotation of that term. And then thin has a more positive connotation. So yeah, it's actually just sometimes not even the actual reality of how we look. It's, it's like our fears and what we feel even if you're, even if you're thin, you know? Yeah. And there's, you know, I, I definitely have come to a place where I'm pretty accepting of my body, but in saying that I didn't grow up with crazy, crazy pressures on me Mm. firstly, because so just taking it back to when I was a kid, nobody was telling me Mm. you need to look like this or that. Although I do remember a boy saying, you're really hairy. You're Mm. a bear. That's that's an interesting thing that, yeah, that's an interesting, like that is, did that impact me? Probably. It probably did reinforce that you shouldn't be hairy because you're a woman and that's masculine. So gender roles just being reinforced. However, in the specific context of weight, because, I mean, we really should hone in on this. I was never told by anyone that I had to lose weight because I didn't have to lose, in quotation marks, have to lose weight because I had I was thin. Yeah. So nobody was putting that external pressure onto me by saying that I needed to do that. However, I still have very vivid memories of all the years I spent concerned about my body up until this day. Yeah. And nobody, nobody was actually, actually actively saying to me, you have Mm. to lose weight. This is all a product of the patriarchy. I still felt insecure. And I still, when I was 13, 12, looked down at my thighs and thought, wow, they're big. Mm. You know, it was, it was a thought in my mind still. Yeah. So we're really just all so susceptible to this. Yeah. 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 Um, and I think in terms of actually honing in on the differences of like, I guess, body image and body size between men and women, 
I'm going to read out some research stats. Basically, mm-hmm. even in childhood, girls are already more conscious about how their body weight affects their appearance compared to boys. Girls' body, you know, body self-esteem is already reduced when they are considered, you know, quote-unquote overweight, whereas body, the boys' body self-esteem is only affected when they are quote-unquote obese. So already mm-hmm. a difference in how large you can be before you feel bad about yourself. And mm. it also showed that uh, in adolescence, body dissatisfaction increases with time in both sexes, but the highest levels of boys' body dis- dissatisfaction were only as high as the lowest levels of girls' body dissatisfaction. And girls mm-hmm. were found to place more emphasis on aesthetic values and less emphasis on functional values of their body compared to boys Mm. so and that just is so in line with we are born and then we get taught to put this emphasis on our bodies to please people through our bodies right Mm. and this pattern of more pronounced body dissatisfaction in women than in men and the greater influence of body weight on body image in women than in men persists in adulthood And men actually, Mm -hmm. this is what I found really interesting, they actually assess themselves as better looking while while women consider themselves as more quote-unquote overweight and want to lose more body weight. And most men were effectively actually considered overweight and most women were effectively average weight or thin. The men still considered themselves as lighter than they were and the women still saw themselves as heavier than they were. It's a very different perception of self uh, and it seems that women are much more hard on themselves and their appearance. Um, yep. And, you know, there's also studies that where people tend to view extra weight or size at least to be a positive, I mean, this is debatable sometimes, but positive contribution for men but not women. So I think it's saying, mm-hmm. you know, men, there's more leeway for men to gain weight or be at a larger body size and it still not Mm. affect their uh importance on the world and worth yeah and then uh women are actually 16 times more likely to experience weight discrimination than men in the workplace it's just astronomical isn't it yeah crazy so there's obviously a difference you know oh there's obviously a difference like it disproportionately targets us and all you have to do is look at the structures of the patriarchy to understand that it will always disproportionately affect us. Mm. And something that I want to come back to is the idea of your appearance being equal to the respect you deserve. Yeah. So if you look a certain way, you will or won't be respected. Yeah. So if you fit this very narrow narrow beauty ideal, mm. your chances of being respected in general by other people and particularly through the male gaze yeah. is higher. That's yeah. what, I mean, even just living, living as a woman in this society, I can understand that that is very much the case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's it's pretty funny because, I mean, it's not funny. It's really depressing, actually. But when I when I'm dressed up, because I like to be dressed up and put my makeup on, like I said, and I mm. also like to be 
dressed down, so to speak, no makeup on my, my hair's all over the place. Like I can do both very easily and comfortably. Yeah. And you do get treated differently when you're in that dress down look. Definitely. I definitely, definitely do. I can already Even say, in shops. I know. Even in shops, walking, going into shops, going shopping, it's like you're immediately being treated differently. Yeah. It's like they care less to help me out. I've had that experience so many times. Yeah. And, yeah, it's basically, you know, if you're not attractive to the male gaze, you are not respectable. You're not going to be respected. And sorry that if you just like hear that, that's just really effed up. (laughs) It is so effed up. Like that. (sighs) Wow. It's just like, wow, this is the world we live in. And the point is just taking all of this in is it is so effed up and there's not a lot of, we can't dismantle this system, like we said, but we can definitely change our perception Mm. and we can kind of say, fuck it. Yeah. Like, I mean, I I swore just then, but it's definitely a cause to swear. Like you just say, fuck it. Yeah. And you, you do what you want. You want to potentially conform to a beauty ideal, but it's because you like it. Mm. Do it. Like you do what you want. Yeah. I think it's doing what you want and not asking other people to like just basically not telling other people what to do. Like if a Mm. fat person wants to show their body good on you, like just do it, you know, you do what you want and let other people do what they want. And then we'll just see this trickling in of diversity and our whole mm-hmm. view could change in a second. And, you know, I've recently, I mean, maybe a year ago, started to diversify my feed when, you know, mm. looking into all this. And I can sa- safely say that my view on what's attractive has changed. Talk to me about how you've diversified your feed. Like, what does that include for you? Well, Just to explain to someone, what does that mean? What? Are, who are you following? What are you doing? Is it a variety in body sizes, race, yeah, all sorts both. of things? Yeah, everything. So, but diversifying who I see in terms of body size. So mm-hmm. I've got many now fat activists on my social media and they're very vocal about their own experience and obviously also showing their body because that's their right. It's They should mm-hmm. have autonomy in how they, you know, like give share out themselves their body. Yeah, their body share themselves. Um, definitely in terms of race, I follow a lot of people of colour now. Um, and you know what? That's mostly because of Jamila Jamil. She has guests on all the time that are very diverse. And I think just, mm-hmm. you know, just chuck, you know, chucking someone to follow after you listen to a podcast like that is just going to be great for you because you are going to get educated because of all that they talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also sexual orientation. I mean, mm-hmm. I've got a lot more people exactly. in the LGBTQI community as well. So... Yeah. Yeah. I think that's big. I think if anyone's looking to um yeah, diversify their what they I know that 
the standards are so ingrained in our brains. But if you're just looking to take that step to diversify what you find attractive, Mm. it is worth actually physically doing that through social media. As we know, it affects our lives so much and it affects our views and opinions on things. So why not actively take that step to follow women, especially, or anyone Mm. who can help I uh, help diversify what you think is yeah. actually attractive or not. Yeah. And just, yeah, a beauty in general. It doesn't, beauty can, can mean a lot of things. It doesn't have to be someone's appearance. And I think that's a big thing too. And I don't want to say that attractiveness is what we're trying to like, di- like broadening attractiveness is, is what we're trying to do F- to me. Yes. That's a part of it, but also just completely dissociating attractiveness with worth. That is just, Mm. that is the biggest thing. And it is so difficult. Yeah. But that's why we need to be aware of it in order for any change to happen. And Mm. just for our own peace of mind to be like, this is unfortunately how it is. How can I feel empowered in this environment and understand my behaviors and actions? Because Am I going to stop wearing makeup? Probably not. Because like I said, it is also so intrinsically intertwined within my ideas of self-expression. Yeah. And that's where it gets murky. But also we don't want to get treated like shit. I mean, survival. Mm. There's only so much a person can take. And if it's going to impact your ability to make money as well, which is the biggest thing. Then. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about M M Rada in that yeah. perspective, because obviously recently the cut released an article that she wrote about herself and about the who controls her body. Mm. Where does that? Who has the right to her body? Yeah, and basically in that story, she wrote just about how other people have profited off Mm. her body yeah and that's you know that's wrong she should be able she wasn't even allowed to um post a photo of herself which paparazzi took of her so she wasn't Mm. even allowed to share her own her own body that's just taking exactly autonomy completely away from women and that's the biggest thing yeah and in the same vein, she, it's interesting because she actually herself profits from this yes. system at the yeah. same time. Is that anti-feminist? No. no. It's She's not. capitalising from that, a structure that was put in place to oppress women. So if anything, mm. there's progress. But, yes, it would perpetuate, yeah. It it does ultimately, yes, it perpetuates the system, but if this is how she makes a living, then so be it because, as we know, the system won't be dismantled overnight and it really is is our duty to understand how, how we should perceive these things. Yeah. And so... M Radder's body has elevated her social status and it has 
also caused her to be pigeonholed just from what I've noticed and how Mm. my own thought process has, you know, thought of her. Yeah. She has been pigeonholed, pigeonholed as well into this, okay, you're a model and you're, you know, a lot of the men who talk about her sort of have hypersexualized her and that's all she's good for kind of thing. Like, so there's, there's a lot of pigeonholing that happens when you have a certain body type or appearance yeah. as well, whether that's on one end, you're thin and you're in that ideal or you're fat yeah. and are experiencing Branded. fat phobia. Yeah. It's exactly that concept of the brand that you spoke yeah. about. So it is such a complicated mm. system when you really just get into the nitty gritties like this. Yeah. But M Radha, so she has been able to capitalize off of this system. She's also under extreme scrutiny Mm. and she gets pigeonholed as well as having an elevated social status. Yeah. It's just insane when you think about all the systems of this society and how they work. And she said herself, it's hard to be in all bodies. And it's true because there's no way of escaping. You you really don't win Mm. in any body, particularly if you're a woman. Exactly. It's that idea of, again, where we're, we're, we're riding this wave. Yeah. It's the patriarchy. We, we need you on board. On that, yeah. We need, we need everyone on board and we're yeah. all kind of going to experience insecurities. There are different ones. And just to be very clear, someone who is, let's just say a black woman a black queer woman yeah is definitely going to experience yeah more a a extreme level because that that is just the layers of oppression yeah so sure we're all we all do experience oppression to an extent but I do believe that there's varying levels when you think about the hierarchy and there's just no way that my experience as a white cisgendered hetero woman in this life would compare to a black queer woman yeah there's just absolutely absolutely no no way but Mm. yeah m radder's comment it obviously has some truth to it yeah all bodies you know uh there's There's difficulties difficulties within all the yeah exactly yeah I also yeah. wanted to speak about, uh, I mean, lastly, maybe this is the last area that we sort of touch on, but how basically the need to conform to be a the thin ideal, I guess, is literally throughout the whole lifespan of a yeah of a woman. Basically, it's it's the whole time. It there's pressure literally the whole time. It doesn't just get easier when you get older. It actually gets a little bit worse sometimes because. Hmm. You know, we've, I mean, we see it day in and day out. The pressure on women after pregnancy is unreal. It is mm. like, it is like just so bad. It kills me a little bit. And uh, menopause. And these are mm. times where women are facing transition. So every transition that a, wom- that a woman goes through, which meant like we have many more transitions than men. Mm is a time where we get scrutinized Mm. and that's a problem because look, not like people are 
sometimes not even wanting to get pregnant because of how it's going to affect their weight in the first place, delivering in a different way, like maybe a C-section because, I don't know, it's just to interject there as well yeah. the idea of having kids younger so that your body bounces back yes quicker that is, that is another thing thing yeah, it, it, yeah. I look, the, and menopause it's literally this is I've had to experience this with clients and it's usually during these transition times that their body image is heightened but mm. with menopause women can't even see that their body is biologically going to want to gain weight. And that to me Mm. is a problem because if you can't even see that this is just the way it is, it's a biological thing, then you're going to keep trying to resist it for the whole time. Mm. You can't even, so you've already got this stress from hormonal fluctuations going crazy, but you've got the stress Mm. of trying to keep your body at a certain weight. This is just so silly. And it's just another way that we control women's bodies. And I'm just... Yeah. Ugh. Yuck. And and on that same note, it's I mean, getting into the best shape of your life post pregnancy, yeah. that's huge. But also in general, how a woman lives her life and the the gender roles kind of gets reinforced here where it's like, when are you gonna have kids? Like mm. there is a clock ticking and suddenly that woman's journey becomes everybody's business. Yeah. It is again, it's a standard in our society moving away more from beauty ideals. It is a standard of how a woman needs to be in society. Yeah. She should have kids. She needs to bring kids into the into the into the world. If not, she's selfish or all these other all this kind of commentary that you hear about these things. Mm. So in general a woman's journey is just so it's everyone's business. Yeah. It's I, everyone's yeah. business. I sometimes think the, sometimes the fear of aging of, I think mm. that is very uh, big with uh, adolescent women, women in their, you know, young women basically mm. because aging, you can't age when you're a woman, that's seen as less desirable. So, you know, the whole wrinkles, the, the, the biological weight gain that will probably happen for most people, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that is the fear of aging, you know? Yeah. And it's like men age and then women have to age gracefully. It's that I, I literally just was listening to a podcast with Florence given on as a guest. And she was saying something like, you know, men age like a fine wine, but women have to age Mm. gracefully. So men inherently, they're going to just age like a fine wine. They don't have to do anything. And then Mm. women need to to age gracefully. And why? Who does this benefit? Well, it's not us. The male gaze. It's not us for sure because that's a lot of male gaze. And it's a lot of money, (laughs) you know. I mean. (sighs) It's a lot of money. And, I mean, I yeah. still don't know if my skincare routine is like, I mean, there's obviously a question of hygiene there, but like how much of it do I actually need? You know, I know. Yeah. Beg, you just have to ask all these things that we do, like how much of it is necessary. I mean, don't even get me started into fucking, you know, cleaning your vulva and your vagina. Yeah. Like that mm-hmm. is a whole nother thing where it's just like, don't even, don't mm. at me. I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah. 
And I think because it's such a money-making industry, look, this is this idea to be uh, p- perfect is ramping up in men. We see it. Mm-hmm. It's fully, it's on the rise. Eating disorders in men are on the rise and rising quicker mm. than in females. And mm-hmm. we, so we know this is going to affect you. And it's because you have this pressure of masculinity being put on you. And guess where that comes from? It comes from the patriarchy. Exactly. Like, I mean, obviously this patriarchal society is convenient for the people on top being yes. the men of the white men, especially. However, what they don't seem to realize is this is all intrinsically linked with how society views men too. It's all part and parcel. So being masculine, father is the head of the Mm. family, don't show any emotions. That's all part of it too. And this obviously doesn't benefit men as we have seen the rise of mental health problems within, within their gender you know it's Mm. clearly a problem there's like a uh, emotional intelligence is lacking because it was never expected of them and it was actually the opposite it was don't be emotional Yeah. yeah and that clearly doesn't serve them so this this society is pretty damaging for everyone, some more than others, clearly. Yes. But yeah. it's just interesting how the people who uphold this patriarchy, the people with the power, are actually damaging themselves as well. Yeah, definitely. Because we also see, I mean, body diversity is real for literally everyone, right? It's just more that slim was found in white men more, you know, as history has told us. But you can still be genetically you know, genetically wired to have more weight on you. So if you're a man, Mm -hmm. you're automatically, if you've got more weight on you, you're automatically going to be seen as less masculine, you know, so that, that hurts them as well. And it might not be in the same level as women and then all the other marginalized communities, but it's still there. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Last thing, sentence-wise, this is what I want to say. Your body shame is misdirected anger. You're pointing it towards yourself when you should be pointing it out to the to the culture, and that's where we can do a lot of damage, you know? That's that's all I want to say. Yeah. Yeah, and it, and it reigns it into that point of, uh, as women especially, let's not blame each other. Let's be yeah. supportive. Let's become aware of our internalized misogyny because we all have it. We're yeah. not invincible. However, when you become aware, that's when you realize that you actually can have a choice in these things. You can you can try to actively change your thought process. And it is hard work, but we this is how we can feel empowered in our patriarchal mm. society. Yeah. Oh, great. What a discussion, full of big ideas. I know. It's always such a, when you really think about, I mean, the other reason why people don't really want to think about this stuff is because it is difficult stuff to process. It's like, holy moly, this is how life has been forever. And that, and now it's kind of like, do we have to dismantle it? But like we said, it's not something that's dismantled easily, but we can help ourselves feel empowered in this situation. Yeah, definitely. All right. Thanks for coming on. 
no worries. I'll see you in two minutes on the other side of this wall. Oh, yeah. (laughs) What a huge amount to digest. It was a light bulb moment to learn and understand diet culture's deep roots in societal structures and the revelation that diet culture is closely entwined with fat phobia and misogyny. I can preach breaking away from diet culture all I like, but as you can see, there are huge societal forces at work here and we can't just ignore that. Virgie Tova, writer, anti-diet culture advocate and fat activist said, diet culture is ultimately the practice of fat phobia and this culture wouldn't make any sense if we accepted that people come in all body shapes and sizes. I'm going to be listing other important people to follow in the episode description. Thank you again for listening to another episode of Unpopular Opinion. I'm going to be taking a little short break, but I'll be back soon.